1 Samuel 23. Last little thing, and then we're actually going to start reading some scripture. But um, something I teach often, I say often, and, and I want us to remember this. I think it's super important um, for, for life because I think one of the biggest struggles that we have in life as Christ followers is, um, is this particular issue. So I think there's a theme in the Bible. And people, I tell people oftentimes that, that there, there is a theme that runs from Genesis to Revelation, a kind of central theme. Now, now, don't get me wrong. The Bible has lots of themes, and the Bible is full of, right, of doctrine, of teaching, of truth, of, of, of revelation, of prophecy, of, you know, on and on and on and on. But there is one theme. We read through the Bible from Genesis to, to Revelation. And one of the things that God has really impacted me on personally this, this trip through the Bible, starting in Genesis, and we've just marched through. If you've been here on Wednesday nights for a couple of years, we started in Genesis chapter 1, and we, we're now in 1 Samuel. And, you know, we're taking our time to get to this point, but we're marching through the Scriptures chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the Old Testament. We've studied Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And, and now we're studying Saul and Samuel and, and, and King David is coming up. And, um, you know, we have Isaiah and we have all of these stories. And we, we had Samson and Gideon and on and on and on of all these stories of, of, of lives that, that we walked through, through the Old Testament. And then the, the pattern continues in the New Testament. And, and some of that you read and you put in and you wonder, like, what is the point of all this? And how does all of this affect or change my life. And, you know, we're, we're pretty adamant. I'm pretty adamant. And I, and I really believe this to the core and hopefully I'm not leading you astray in this, but you know, that it's super important that you read your Bible and pray every day. And and it's a big reason for that is that we take these stories, we take these events of the Bible. And even though we may not completely digest how they affect our lives today and how they impact us and how we, how we use them to be better Christians, I really believe that, that there's a theme and there's something that's happening behind the scenes, whether you realize it or not, as you read the word of God and pray every day. And, and it's this, and it is the theme of the Bible. One of the, the main themes of the Bible. And, and I say this often, but it's that you can trust God. You can trust me. That's what God wants to communicate to you, that you can trust him in absolutely every area of your life. And so what does he do? He starts us in Genesis with all kinds of people's lives. You know, God likes drama. That's what's crazy about, about God. God, how could he not? Every, every life that we, we study and we read in the Bible is full of drama. There, there's so much drama in the lives of the people of the Bible. And, and maybe drama is not the right word or, or, you know, because it's not self-inflicted drama. It's just, it's troubles and tribulations and trials and nothing seems to go right. In every story, you know, we, we preach at Calvary Chapel and some, some pound the pulpit and, and maybe, you know, to, to some degree it gets old to hear it. And they, you know, against this, this um, faith doctrine that's so, so prevalent, we call it faith teaching or faith healers or um, this, this doctrine, this faith doctrine, why it's so dangerous. And, and basically what it says is that God's intention for your life is to be happy, healthy and wealthy. There's only one problem. Well, there's lots of problems, but let's talk about one. Find for me one example of somebody in the Bible who lived a life that was happy, healthy, and wealthy. Can anybody think of one? Maybe you guys need to read Genesis to Revelation so you can find them. And when you do that, 
you'll find that he don't exist. It just is not there. It's just not one example. And, and, and happy, healthy, wealthy people don't, you know, and if God's intention was for us to be happy, healthy, wealthy, don't you think the Bible would record um, stories of lives? But what instead, what is the Bible full of? Drama, messes, big messes in people's lives, you know. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, he, and Jacob had 12 sons, and one of his sons was Judah. And Judah had had three sons who, who kept marrying this girl and all his sons were dying. And when his youngest son was supposed to take the position of the other two sons, Judah didn't want to give his youngest son to this, this girl, Tamar. And Tamar, as we know, ends up in the genealogy of Jesus. And so Judah, she finds out Judah's trying to hide this third from, son from her because she already killed two of his other sons. Or she didn't necessarily kill him, right? But they dropped dead being married to her. And so Judah's out on a business trip and decides to go into a hooker. And he sleeps with this woman and he doesn't have money to pay her. So she says, leave me your, your, your wallet and your driver's license. And, um, and then when you send me the money, I'll give you back your, your identification cards. And so he sends his servant down to find this woman that he slept with. And what happens? She's not there. And, and he says, oh, well. Call it a loss, whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll call the DMV and get a new driver's license. And then Tamar, his daughter-in-law, shows up. And she says, I'm pregnant. And he says, great. I didn't want to give my youngest son to you. And now I'm free because you're a whore. And I don't have to give him to you. And he thought life was great and grand. Until she said, what? I'm pregnant by the man who owns this staff and this signet ring. Drama. Just drama. That baby that, that Tamar was pregnant with becomes the great, 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 lots more greats, grandfather of Jesus. And Jesus uses that relationship in the line of the genealogy. And all three of the women that are listed in Jesus' genealogy have similar stories of just drama. You think of the life of Mary. Oh my gosh, what would it be to be Mary, the mother of Jesus? That poor girl. And the drama that surrounded the birth of Jesus. And she, she's, in, she's betrothed to Joseph. And then she goes and spends six months at her Aunt Elizabeth's house. And she comes back to little old Bethlehem. I mean, little old wherever she's from. And she's pregnant. And she says, I haven't had an affair on Joseph. Uh, you kind of know how that happens, right, Mary? Yeah, right. You know, the talk of the town and then getting ready to have the baby and 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 the, the census. And she has to get on a donkey. Great with child, the Bible says. God's words, not mine. She waddled um, with with child and, and travel to, to Bethlehem. To the to the home of, of Joseph and just all the drama they get there. There's no place for them. The hotels are empty and. She's in a stable and a barn with the animals and, you know, just drama, drama, drama. But through all the drama, God wants you to know something. You can trust him. You can trust him. You can't trust your pastor to actually teach the Bible. But you can trust God. All right. First um, Samuel 23. You know, it's funny because I took so much time because this, this is such good stuff we got today, you guys. Then they told David saying... Look, the Philistines are, are 
are fighting against Keilah and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord and said, shall I go and attack the Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. So David, as you know, he's in a season where he's, he's running from Saul. He was there a couple chapters ago at the, um, at the, at the house of, of the Lord. He was there in the tabernacle that Moses built. And he went to the priest and he said, have you no food? And the priest said, no, you know, we don't have any food, just the bread that, the, that the only the priests are to have. And David said, give it to me. And, and, and so he gave it to David because human need supersedes the law. And he said, do you have any weapons? And they said, no, just that sword that you brought and dedicated to the Lord in the temple. It's here, Goliath's sword. And David said, give it to me. And, and so he ate the showbread. He took Goliath's sword. And then Saul came in after him. And um, that, that creepy guy that was there, Doag, remember Doag, the dog? And, and um, uh, Saul accuses the priests of being in, in um, cahoots with David, and he tells Doeg to kill, and Doeg kills 85 priests of the Lord. David had lied to him when he was there and caused this, this trouble, and David is fleeing, and Saul is, is chasing him. And so that's the section that we're in now where David is running and fleeing. In chapter 22, last week we meet the, the um, 400 men of David in 1 Samuel 22. Great story, because if you'll remember, it says that everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented and gathered to him became... Um, captain over him. So, so these are the men that were, um, he became captain over them and they were gathered to him. And so this group of discontented, distressed, disgruntled men that begin to gather around David that didn't fit in other places. And you see this list of these 400 men. I shared it last Sunday, um, the Sunday before I left to Israel about the accomplishments of, of them, Raul, the son of Dodo. And, um, these, these men who, who became mighty, mighty warriors of David. And, And here we find in last chapter where they started, just like all of us, when we began to follow the King. We were discontented and in debt and disgruntled and in bad place. And how did we become mighty men of God? We followed the king. And so here we have this picture of these men who follow King David and and they start as a ragtag group of men. And eventually they become the mighty men of David as, as the Bible records David's mighty men. And there's 400 when they start, they grow to a group of 600 and we saw them. And now David and his men are there and there's a problem. The Philistines are attacking in Keilah. And so David goes to the Lord and he inquires and he says, should I go and attack the Philistines? Look at verse two. And the Lord said, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. Now, Keilah. So I, I, I want to just, again, real quickly, and something I share often, so you, you know, you got it by now, but King David was not exactly a, a model citizen of Christianity, of, of walking with the Lord, right? David is such an anomaly because David is somebody who struggled with great sins throughout his whole life and yet is, is not recorded. You know, you know, I said this last week and we got into it a couple of weeks ago in depth, but when you look at, at David and Saul and the, the things that they did that were bad, they're, they're not that much different. You know, they each have their own disgusting part to them, but, but they're not that much different. And Saul goes down as somebody who we're not even really sure if he's going to be in heaven. Good chance he's not in heaven. And, and, and David, who goes down throughout all of history as, as the, um, the, the less than, the, the son of King David or the, the father of Jesus in, in, in sorts, And Messiah is the son of David, someone who God calls a man after God's own heart. 
And, and, and you know, we, we, we went into detail the difference why, how, how two people with, with outside sins that are similar um, can go in such, end up in such different directions when it comes to the eyes of the Lord. And, and it came down to the heart of King David. And it comes down to your heart and my heart. And it comes down to a heart that wants to serve God. And you know, God cannot, he can't ignore your sins, but he can forgive your sins, but they definitely look different. You know, I went through a, ser- a period of my life in, in Hemet, right when I got to Hemet after becoming a Christian, where I still struggled. I struggled in those early days being green, knowing the call and the will of God. And, and I still struggled with some of the same sins that were besetting um, me prior to that. But I really had a heart that was crying out during that season. I was asking God, God, help me. God, I want to change. God, I, I don't want to be this person. God, forgive me. God, help me. God, help me. And, and I would struggle at times, but my heart was literally authentically crying out for God and true repentance when I was blowing it and, and really asking God to forgive me and save me. And, and that was the heart of David. David was a heart that, that was so right. And so here, one of the, 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 the markings of David's life that you and I have to learn from is what it says here in verse two, is that David inquired of the Lord. David inquired of the Lord about every decision in his life. And where you see David, and it, it's great how God recorded it for us, but you know, where you see David have major problems is before it, where it does not record this little phrase, David inquired of the Lord. David is going to go down to Ziklag and all kinds of trouble is going to fall. We're going to, we're going to get to that in chapter 30. We studied it a couple Sundays ago. We're going to catch it again on Wednesday night briefly. But no, no mention of David inquiring of the Lord. David inquired of the Lord. And so here David inquires of the Lord. And I love how these conversations are recorded biblically. Do you guys ever ask yourself how this like physically, literally went down? Because it makes it sound like almost like David called him on the phone or something. Just had this conversation. It says, and David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go down and attack the Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. The Lord doesn't speak to me that way. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Absolutely. He speaks to you no different. Just as clear. God absolutely speaks to you this same way. And it'll be recorded about your life in these same, same kind of conversations. And, and though it's not an audible voice, the will of God is clear. It's known. It can be known. It, it, and God will and can speak to you in these same exact terms. And whether you recognize it or not, I would, I would pretty much venture to say that God speaks to, to you if you ask in these same terms and you know the will of God. And so David, you know, I love it how they would just, you know, weren't these long flowing, you know, overly, you know, New King James Version prayers that, that God would only honor. It was just a question. Hey, should I go down to Keilah? Yeah, you should go down. So David goes to his men in verse um, three, and he said to him, look, or, but the men of David said to him, look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? So I love it. David goes to his men and he says to them, we're going down to Keilah and we're going to attack the Philistines there and save Keilah. And the men give this honest um, response to King David. And they say, David, we're scared. We're afraid. And, and, and it's amazing because, you know, it's honesty. It's just, it's just reality. Now, David has a choice here. Has God spoken to David about the concerns of, I mean, about whether they should go down to Keilah or not? Did God already tell David they're supposed to go down? So here we have David, who is the king, who's the leader of these men. These men have put themselves in a position to follow him. 
to, to, to take his spiritual direction and leadership. And he comes to them as a leader and they voice some concerns. David, we're scared. We don't want to go down. We don't think that's a good idea. Are you sure you heard from the Lord? Now, David has a choice here. He can begin to just force his men. He can begin to tell them, hey, you know, you're wrong. I talked to God. And blah, blah, blah. But look what David does instead. I love it. It says, then David inquired of the Lord once again. What? So cool. So cool. David goes, he brings it to the church, he brings it to the congregation. He says, hey, I have some vision for our church. And I think this is the direction we need to go. And the church speaks up and says, well, we're afraid. We're, we're, we don't know that you're making a good decision. And, and rather than, you know, get upset or whatever, David goes back and he says, Lord, the, the men have this concern. The church has this concern. And, and he just goes and he takes this legitimate concern that the people have, the, the way they reacted to it. And, and he brings it back to the Lord in prayer. And he says, God, the people are afraid. What should I do? Love it, love it, love it. And the Lord said to him, somebody, help me out here. Arise, baby. The Lord said to him, arise. If you guys don't know that word yet, you haven't been in in Twilla Springs Calvary Chapel very long, but that's our word. That's one of our mantras there. Arise, arise, arise. All over, throughout the Bible. You know what's cool about the word arise? Um, It's recorded in the Bible where, hear hear who's speaking in in verse 4. The Lord. We have angels who say this word. We have men of the Bible who use this word. Jesus uses this word many times in the New Testament. And, and it's just, it just is a Bible word that just brings power. Arise. The Lord says to David, David, arise. And you know, that's like, if, if I could hear God say something to me, I'd want to hear him say that. Arise. Go and take Tewilla. Go and take this, this, this land for the Lord. You know, one of the stories too that, um, my aunt for my aunt Lydia, one of my favorite stories. And I've shared this one too with you guys, but I shared it at the funeral, um, not to back up too much, but, um, when Lydia and I first came to Tooele, you know, obviously I, I, I was in communication with my aunt Lydia and we were close and I called her when we moved here. And, um, so it would have been five years ago. She died at 92. So she'd have been 87, 86 at that time, 87. And she was getting up there and, um, you know, and, and still in pretty good health at that time. And you know how I talked about when I, when I went and told her that I got saved, that she just didn't get excited. She didn't overreact. It was just kind of who she was. She was always like that. But when I told her this, she did get excited. She really did. I told her, I said, Aunt Lydia, um, the, the place where we planted our church is, is less than 1% evangelical Christian. And she said, oh, Chris, she said, Chris, she said that 1%, she said, you can take it. You can take the 99, you can take the 99. And seriously, I just, she was just pouring into me faith, you know, and, and the thing was in her heart, she really believed that without a doubt. She really believed that. And, you know, I, it was like, you know, I, I didn't ask her on that moment, you know, well, will you pray for us? Like so redundant, right? Like, well, yeah, I already pray for you an hour every night. What do you want? You know, like, I was like, I didn't need to ask her to pray for me. I know she already was praying for us and for me. And, um, you know, there was no reason I, you know, I got to the point where you didn't have to ask my lady to pray for you. You just, you know, and it wasn't like when we ask each other to pray for us sometimes, you know, and it's like, like, you know, okay, I'll text you some praying hands, but that's about as far as it goes. You know, literally she would actually get on her knees and, and, and seek the Lord on your behalf, you know, really pray for you. 
But, but David here, um, he goes back and the Lord says, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines. Now, it doesn't tell us what happened when David went back. But nonetheless, David was the leader. David heard their concerns. He didn't overreact. He didn't bow beat him. He, he went back. He heard the legitimate concerns of the men. He went back. He had a second conversation with the Lord. And then it just says they went down. So they just followed what, what God wanted in the leading of David. Uh, and so, you know, it doesn't say he had to go back and convince him of God's will. Just at that point, David made the decision and, and the people followed and they go down to um, Keilah in, in verse five. And his men went down and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow and took away their livestock. And David said to the inhabitants of Keilah, so David saved, I'm sorry, the inhabitants of Keilah in verse three. They were um, having a cow. And in verse 5, they were eating steak. Right? It says they took the livestock of the Philistines. So they, they took their cows and all their livestock and they butchered up one of them cows and made tri-tip. And so they were having a cow in verse 3 and eating a steak in verse 5 because they just followed the will of the Lord. And then in verse 6, it says, Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to, to David at Keilah that he went down with them with an ephod in his hand. An ephod was that holy garment that the priests wore. They would use it when it was time to seek the Lord, like a prayer shawl, they would put it on. And the ephod was something that was used um, in prayer and seeking the will of God. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And so the guy basically was a tattletale and he went and he told Saul where David was and David and, and Saul says, oh, great. This is the will of God because he's trapped David inside Keilah. Keilah is a walled city all the way around one way in one way out. David's done. We got him. And so, um, you know, he. He, he, he wrote it off in verse seven as the will of the Lord. Was that the will of the Lord? Verse 7, Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand. Did God deliver Saul into his hand? I mean, did God, did, did God deliver David into Saul's hand? No, he didn't. You know, and again, you, you have to, right? This is where you could take a verse out of context and, and make it mean something that it's not, right? Biblically, you have to understand the context of what you're reading in the Bible. And so here, you know, it's the Bible records Saul having this conversation with himself or a conversation with these men. And if you, if you just take it at, if you just read the one verse, you say, oh, well, God delivered David into the hand of Saul, but that's, that's not consistent with the story. And that's not actually what was happening. It was God just recording it. You know, there's all kinds of things that happens in the book of Job with Job's friends reasoning among themselves and with Job about why his kids died and he lost everything. None of them are doctrine. None of them are true. 35 chapters of these three guys rambling trying to figure out what's going on with Job and what happens in, in, in the next chapter. God shows up and tells these guys, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. Let me tell you what's going on in Job's life. And then God shows up and begins to, to, to lay out the truth. And, you know, you could take Job chapter 20 with one of Job's knucklehead friends philosophizing, sizing about what's wrong and what happened to Job and try to make some doctrine out of it. But it's completely out of context. It's not, it's not what God intended. Same thing in Ecclesiastes. 
you have, you have Solomon, and the Bible records Solomon's rantings about, about life and about what's you know, going on and, and, and all is vanity, but none of that is doctrine. If you take it all in context, Solomon is, is in a bad place when he's, re, when he's saying all those things. Solomon's not even walking with the Lord, but God records it. So then here um, it says in verse 8, Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to, to Keilah and besiege David and his men. And when David knew that Saul plotted against evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. And David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into Saul's hands? And when will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. And David said, well, then will the men of Keilah deliver me? Now, look at this back and forth uh, conversation that David is having with God again, right? David's inquiring of the Lord. And I just, just, again, I want to encourage you guys with this. I think you read this and you think, well, this worked in David's life, but it doesn't work in my life. That's not true. This works in your life. Ask God direct questions. Yeah, sure, we should praise him. We should have some things in our prayer that are not always just, but it's okay to have direct conversations with God and get direct answers. God will speak to you. And then, and then you can ask him further questions and he'll give you further answers. And you develop this relationship with God that David has. And he, he's just talking to God. And God says, yeah, Saul's coming, man. And David says, okay, Saul's coming. Well, uh, will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hands? And David said, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, yeah, they will deliver you. So David goes down to Keilah. And the Philistines are there ravishing the city. And David and his men go in and fight and kill the Philistines and save Keilah. They're the heroes. They're the victors. And the men of Keilah and the women of Keilah, they're singing David's song again. And they're excited and they're, they're making merry and they're bringing out food and wine and celebrating. And they're so excited that David has delivered them from the hands of the Philistines. And one of them takes off running and goes and finds Saul and says, Saul, David's in Keilah. And David hears that Saul knows and he prays and he said, God, is is Saul going to come down here and try to kill me? And David says, yeah, he's going to come. And David says, but what about the men of Keilah? Will they they deliver me? Will they turn on me? Well, no, you just saved them. Of course they won't. And the Lord said, yeah, they will. They're going to turn on you. The fickleness of people immediately going to just turn on David after he just saved him. And here again, David has a, has a choice. And I, I kind of like David's decisions. You know, D- David made lots of really wise decisions in his life. He could have he killed the Minakiatla right here. And David was a man of war. Don't get it twisted. Like David really was like something you see on TV when you see some of these bloody, like old school swords and shields fighting. You know, David was one of those guys. And he had no problem. I mean, one of the things I don't like to really say about David, but it's just the truth and it's real. In, in the chapters coming up, we're going to read where David was, was raiding when he was staying in Ziklag and he was raiding Philistine cities. And it says that they killed all the men, women, and children in, in the village and the animals so that, so that none of them could, could go and tell the king, the Philistine king, where they were really raiding. That was David and his men. It's kind of fighting and fighters and soldiers they were. And, and, and here these men are about to turn on him and the Lord tells him, let's find out what David does. If he kills him, if he, if he attacks him, if he browbeats him, if he gives him a speech. 
it says in verse 13, so David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. And then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, so he halted his expedition. So you know what? David just, just kind of cuts his losses. The men of Keilah were wrong. They, they, they backstabbed him. And, um, he, but he just made a wise decision. He made a mature decision. He didn't get upset. He didn't go and bow, beat him, beat him or whatever, or tell him they were stupid. Or he didn't say, oh, it's all your fault. You know, and then that's the nice thing about King David. King David all the way through his life could have blamed Saul. You know, if Saul wasn't chasing me, then this wouldn't happen. If the men of Keilah wouldn't have backstabbed me, then this wouldn't happen. You never hear that from David. David lives his life under the Lord and, and when things go wrong and other people do bad things to him, he just takes responsibility for himself and he lives life in a way that he doesn't let other people affect what happens to him or not happen to him. He's not constantly blaming everybody else for his problems. He just, he just makes a mature decision here and he just leaves. He just doesn't, doesn't, you know. And in verse 14, it says, And David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day. But God did not deliver him in his hand. So, so David and Saul here is recorded in the Bible or in a season where, you know, this is a season where Saul is really pursuing David. They're going to have a couple encounters over the next couple chapters where Saul's going to try to really kill David. He's already thrown his spear at David several times. And in verse 15, so David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. So that's a, that's a cool Bible kind of uh, idea there too in verse 16 that that jonathan saul's son strengthened david's hand in god we're going to see and we studied in chapter 30 where nobody is there to strengthen david's hand and so david strengthens strengthens himself in the lord david encouraged himself in the lord we spent a whole sunday studying that that one verse um and so you know but but again there's a season when a brother strengthens you when a brother encourages you there's a time where where you know as christians we go and we encourage another brother and we lift somebody else up who's down or who needs it. And then, you know, in the seasons where just nobody shows up in your life, you don't start whining on Facebook about it. You strengthen yourself in the Lord. You stand up. And, but here, thankfully, God sends Jonathan. And in verse 17, he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. And even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord and David stayed in the woods and Jonathan went to his house. You know, that's the last time we're going to hear about Jonathan until he dies. You know, it's unfortunate. Jonathan knew the future. He knew David was called. And, you know, maybe had Jonathan decided just to, to serve David and, and be with David, his, his fate would have been different. And he could have been a general in David's army moving forward. But Jonathan left and he made a decision. He went to his own house. That's the last we'll hear of Jonathan. The next thing we'll hear of Jonathan, he'll be hanging on the walls um, of the Philistine cities. And then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah saying, Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds, in the woods, in the hills, in the helic, which is on the south? So another tattletale. And now, therefore, O king, come down to all the desire of your soul to come down. Our part shall be delivered to him in the, in, into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is and who has seen him. For I am told he is very crafty. See, therefore, and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty. And I will go with you and it shall be if he is in the land that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men 
were in the wilderness of Moan in the plain south of Jeshimon. So Saul and his men went to seek him, and they told David, therefore, he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Moan. And Saul, and when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Moan. So David and all of this stuff, you guys, it happens in the place of Israel near the Dead Sea. So the rock there is possibly a, 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 um, a, a description for um, what's today called ma, uh, Masada. And Masada is that, I don't know if you guys remember pictures from last week, but it's, it was an old Roman fortress way up on a hill um, where, where it was fortified. It was way up on top. It was hot there. It was in the wilderness. And below Masada and around the Dead Sea is, is these places um, where all these, these further stories are going to take place. En Gedi, the place of these caves, and all of this stuff happens there um, around the Dead Sea. But the rock is probably a reference to... Um, uh, Masada, that fortified city that was there. And then in verse 26, then Saul went on the side of the mountains and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. But messengers came to Saul saying, hurry and come for the Philistines have invaded the land. And therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines so that they called that place the rock of escape, again, Masada. And David went up from there and dwelt in the strongholds of En Gedi. That's it for tonight. Again, um, one, of the, um, one of the things that, that you notice uh, in uh, En Gedi, in this place. Now, I can't really describe it that well. I wish I could show you some pictures maybe next week. But... Um, so if you can imagine the, the Dead Sea is here to our left and it's our, your right, my left, big sea. And there's a road that runs along the Dead Sea and, and just opposite of that, um, like where Kennecott would be if the Great Salt Lake was the Dead Sea and where Kennecott is high up on the hill is a place called En Gedi. I'm sorry, the rock or Masada. It's, it's the place where the mass suicides happened. It was a Roman, Roman fortified city. And after AD 70, about the year 100, um, about four or 500 Jews fled there and were held up there. And the Romans besieged it. They built a ramp going up to it that took months and months and months and months to build. And then they finally went up. And when they got up there, when, the, when, the, uh, when it ended, all the Jews had committed suicide rather than go into the hands of the Romans during that time. Well, that area, Masada, then down from there, there are all these valleys and every one of them run and have these rivers and waterfalls that run into the Dead Sea. So the Dead Sea is fed by the Jordan River and also by all of these different waterfalls. So when you're driving down that road and the Dead Sea is here to your left, if you look to your right, you, you can see the water lines, they're white, you know, in the mountains. And in the rainy season, that whole side of that mountain comes alive where all of the different, the, the water comes, the, you know, all of the stuff is filtered through that area, through Israel, into these waterfalls. That, that road, I, did I show you guys that picture of that road that collapsed? That's one of those, those waterfalls, one of those waterways that comes through there off that mountain into the Dead Sea. And that area is called En Gedi. And so it's very lush and it's very green and it's beautiful. One of the most beautiful places, waterfalls and little lakes. And that was the area where Gideon and his men drank the water like this. And that's where David and his men are during this season. And the next couple chapters that we're going to study is in that area near the Dead Sea called En Gedi and Masada and that whole area. Let's stand.
Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for King David. And Father, we thank you for his stories. We thank you, God, for his relationship with you. And we thank you for the, what we learned tonight was that David inquired of the Lord. And very simply, God, he had conversations with you. He asked you for direction. He asked you for vision. He asked you for right and wrong. And, and when things didn't go well or when the, the people that he was leading, Father, didn't understand the, what you had said, he, he brought it back to you in prayer. And he inquired of you again to make sure. And he brought the concerns of the people to you, Lord, and, and discussed them and then went back and made decisions. And Lord, when, when the people of Keilah turned on him, David, David just simply left in peace. And, and he made a decision that, you know, maybe it wasn't necessarily, you know, the, the heart of the people. It was just, just life, Lord, and that, that people are that way. And he didn't take it out on him personally. And uh, he just left, Lord, and he made a mature decision and, and left Keilah. And so, Lord, but I thank you for David being led by you during this season and his relationship with you and how we learn from that and how we see, God, your faithfulness in the life of David. And, and we translate that to our own lives, God, that you're with us, that you can and will and want to speak to us in a clear, easy to understand manner. And Lord, if any of us struggle with knowing the will of God, we know that's on our end, not yours. And it's just a matter, God, of, of, of clearing out the, the space between you and I and, and us and you, Lord, and, and speaking to you and communicating with you and opening our ears to listen, God, and, and putting um, ourselves in a place in this life where we're gathered with your people and, Lord, where we do things that are godly in order to spend time and hear your voice and have your direction in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you guys. Love you guys.